Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, coming to you live from my high-tech studio in my house. Hope you are doing okay during this uh, self-isolation period. And today I thought we would talk about what writers hate and what actors hate. And these are tips so that if you are giving notes to actors, if you are giving notes to writers, these are some of the things that you might avoid. Okay, it's a public service podcast this week. And again, this is a post, I'm going to start out with uh, what writers hate. This is a post for executives, studios, networks, producers, pod producers, critics, D-girls, professors, wives, anyone who gives script notes. And how you present the note is often as important or even more important than the notes themselves. I mean, there are times when the messenger should be killed, okay? So here are some of the do-nots when delivering notes. Okay, you should take notes yourself. Okay, first of all, understand that we writers hate notes. We begrudgingly do realize that they're sometimes very helpful and under the influence of ethanol, we will admit that they can improve a script, but we hate them. We just hate them. So you're going to get much better results if you A, understand that, and B, present them in a more respectful way. Now, try to say some nice things about the script first. Even if you have to be very creative, even if you have to lie, okay? Again, it's about respect, real or otherwise. And try to make the, the compliments credible. <laughs> I mean, we can see through uh, a really nice font or, um, you know, we're generally very happy. Yeah, we can see through that. Don't lead us on. We had a, a guy once who was a studio president, and he would say, I, I have just a couple of things, just a couple of tiny things. You go down to his office, and then he would just bury us for two hours, okay? If you have just a couple of things, fine. Don't bombard us then with an hour of notes. Now, if there is a group of you, consolidate and assign one person to give the notes. Now, I said we hate notes, but there's something even more that we hate, and that is being gangbanged, okay? We once had a note session. When I say we, my partner David Isaacs and I once had a note session, and there were like 20 executives on this call. I had no idea who 
half of these people were. It says, you know, hi, it's Matt. Hi, it's Courtney. Hi, it's David. Hi, it's Karen. And it's like, I have no idea who any of these people are. And for 20 minutes, all 20 of them were just bombarding us with notes, just one after the other, conflicted. We couldn't understand them. I mean, it was just a mess. And then they got done and went, okay, so go off and do that. We hung up the phone and we had no idea what to do. So we basically did whatever we wanted and then we turned it in and they were actually very happy. And I guess they assumed that whatever we did, we were addressing someone's note, even if they didn't remember it being given. So pick your best guy. And uh, another example, David and I were doing a pilot for Fox. We would finish a run through and there had to be like 14 or 15 people. There was the production company, there was the studio, there was the network, there were standards and practices people, people from marketing, craft services. I have no idea. But there were like 15 suits. We walked into this conference room and they were all sitting around and it was a huge conference table, kind of like the one in Dr. Strangelove. And, uh, and David and I just sitting at the head of the table. And I said, listen, we will be more than happy to listen to and address all of your notes, but bring us three of your best guys. That's it. We will be in our office. You guys work it out between you as to just what the notes are going to be and then have two or three people come to our office and give us the notes. Because otherwise, again, you you are just buried. When you are giving notes, please do not use the expression, uh, this bumped me before giving that note. Okay, it bumps me more that you say that. Okay, do they teach you... Uh, a suit slang somewhere in Bennington. I mean, never use, eh, this bumps me. Oh, this is this is one that kills me. Don't say, well, sure, it's funny, but do you have any idea how hard it is to make something funny? Now, you can convey your point without dismissing the key element of a comedy script. Yeah, it is funny. We worked very hard on making it funny. People are tuning into this show because it is a comedy. So, yeah, it's funny, but moving on. Be specific. Okay, this is a real big one because it's hard enough to satisfy your concerns without having to hire a Navajo code tracker or a psychic to help decipher them. Okay, there was a network executive. I'm not going to tell you his name. We dealt with him for many, many years. Very smart, excellent programmer, also a very good guy. I'm very fond of him personally. But he gave the most maddening, obtuse notes on the planet. And here here are some examples. 
he would say, now the script is here, and he would hold out his hand, and then he would raise his hand higher and he'd say, but I I want it to be here. And that would be his only note. What the fuck? How do we go back and do that? Well, the same executive was giving notes on a friend's pilot once, and he said, if Cheers is a place where everybody knows your name, then your place is... And my friend said, well, gee, we haven't written the theme song yet. (laughs) Another one, he would say, now, the script has the meat and the vegetables, but I would like to see what's for dessert. Yeah, right. So you just go off and write that. Okay. Uh, I know it's tough when something bothers you and you can't put your finger on it, but try as best you can to be specific. Now then, think through the ramifications of your notes. What do I mean by that? Well, it's real easy to say, well, let's just do this instead. Well, let's just have him come in and do this. And you go, well, yeah, it solves that problem, but then it creates five other problems. Okay, think the whole thing through. Your suggestion may solve your problem, but it may screw up everything else that follows. Just remember, every story beat, every line has been discussed, usually to death and is there in that form for a reason. Now, I'm not saying that it can't be improved, but take a moment to appreciate the logic process that went into it first. We spend way more time thinking these things through than you do. We spend way more time flagging logic problems, going, I don't understand this. Wait, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just do this instead? It makes no sense that he would do that, okay? We spend a lot of time first. Okay, you know what really pisses us writers off? When you ask for something in the script that's already there, please read the damn thing. We worked very hard on it. When you hear us respond to one of your notes by saying, well, it's right there in page eight, we, we say that right there on page eight. Just know that when we get back to the office, we are going to make ass fun of you for a week. Now, another sensitive area is giving notes on jokes. Now, if there are notes on jokes after a run-through, there is absolutely no need for you to point out which jokes didn't work. We are trained comedy writers we can recognize silence. And if it's a joke on a page, well, then it certainly gets trickier. Now, you're making a subjective call there. And here is where tact comes in again. Very well-known producer with a shocking lack of tact used to challenge the writers when he didn't like a joke. He would say, Uh, how is that funny? No, I mean, seriously, explain to me why anyone 
in the fucking world would laugh at that? And the writer would go, okay, no, I, I, all right, I get it. I'll, I'll change it. No, no. No, take a moment and explain to me why you thought this piece of shit joke would actually get a laugh. Well, needless to say, it's very hard to rewrite comedy when your testicles have been removed. And we contrast that with Gene Reynolds. I've talked about him a lot on this uh, podcast and also in my blog. Um, Gene was such a gentleman when he was producing MASH. And what he would say was merely, "Um, guys, uh, you might want to take another look at that joke. Okay? That's all you need. It really is. We got the message. Don't, I repeat, don't ever vote on jokes. Don't ask for a show of hands among the executives around the table as to whether or not they liked a particular joke. This happened to us once when we had a development deal at a studio and they were giving notes. And again, there were like four or five people in, in the room. And, and they took a vote on a joke. And normally, again, we're very gracious and we listen to the notes and we try not to be very combative. But we said, stop. Never, ever do that again. You don't get to vote on jokes. Now, actors. (laughs) We writers don't take very kindly to your just throwing the script on the floor and yelling, it's a piece of shit. Okay, call us overly sensitive, but you can go over to us and you can say, listen, um... I'm having a little problem with this. And that we'll listen to. When you say, "Um, I could use a little help here. I don't really understand exactly why I'm so angry or why I I would say that. Wouldn't I like withhold that information because, you know, I'm kind of sensitive to his feelings here, whatever. And we'll respond positively to that too. We will listen. Now, there's the, the famous line, but my character wouldn't say that. That may be true, but we hate that a thousand times more than this bumps me. There was a, an actor who once um, said to producer Stephen Bochco, who did Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue, L.A. Law. So... Uh, he said to the actor, well, maybe your character wouldn't say that, but he's not your character. He's my character. And he's saying it right here. And he pointed to the script. Nick Colasano, who played the coach on Cheers, was the smartest actor I have ever worked with when it comes to giving writers notes. Because he would always start off by saying, look, Guys, I'm happy to do it just the way it's written here. But, and then he would explain what issue he had with the line. And just the fact 
that he said that he would do it as written, we always changed it. We never made him do it that way. We were happy to make the change. Use a little tact. So actors, please think of us as collaborators and not just mules. And again, it all boils down to respect. I mean, it may not look it, but we put in a lot of time and effort into these scripts. In some cases, we pour out our hearts and soul. Well, not so much in episodic, but still. And even though we don't like them, we do appreciate thoughtful notes and only want the scripts to get better. My feeling is always the best idea wins, especially if it's my name on it. So, (laughs) of course, uh, this is a better way of going. Thank you so much. But if you present your notes well, I can almost guarantee that we will take the script from here, I'm holding my hand right here, up to here, or at least here. Now, I'm going to put on my director's hat for a moment. And in the spirit of fairness... Here are some things that actors hate. So you writers, take note. Actors hate having to give exposition. It is dry. It is informational. It's not fun. Unfortunately, someone has to deliver the exposition. So the trick is to spread it around, find ways to hide it, and make it entertaining. Now, necessary information, say, woven into a joke is usually a good solution. Having a character who is delivering exposition have an attitude is also really good. Um, Exposition is actually a a good topic for a later episode, if I haven't done it already. After 175 episodes, I'm starting to lose count. Actors don't like just asking questions in a scene. They didn't spend four years finding their inner center, their emotional truth trigger, uh, portraying ice cream cones in class just to ask questions. Anybody can ask questions. But sometimes there is a great temptation as a writer to do that because actor A knows all this information and actor B needs to know it. And in real life, then what happens is a simple conversation of question and answer. But you can't do that on a script, okay? You have to massage the scene so that actor B, who is asking the questions, somehow gets some jokes in there, somehow gets to comment, or actor A sometimes asks a question. Uh, It's kind of a dance, but it's something that you really need to do. I don't know if they teach that in any writing program, but it's really good advice. And when I teach writing, I teach it and actors thank me. Okay, along those same lines, actors don't like just doing setups for other actors' jokes. George Burns, Bud Abbott, they're dead. Spread around the wealth. Now, the tough thing here 
is sometimes you have two actors. You have actor A and actor B, and actor A is really funny, and actor B is a lox. Still, you got to throw actor B a bone or two, or you have to work in some jokes in the setups themselves or recast. But obviously the temptation is to just give actor A all of the punchlines because he's the funny one. You're going to have some trouble down on the set. Now, here's a common rookie mistake. Having an actor in a scene and not giving him a line or anything to do for a page or two or four. If he is in the scene, he needs to have a purpose. He needs to have a reason for being in the scene. And he needs to be a participant. If he has no purpose, then just find a way to get his ass out of there. Now, you would think actors want as much screen time as possible, but they would much rather be out of a scene than just be a piece of furniture in it. And I saw... uh, a play a few months ago in New York and the playwright who is a very accomplished Tony winning playwright made this mistake. And there were times when actors would like be sitting upstage, like reading a book while this whole 10 minute scene is going on downstage. And first of all, the actor Upstage is really uncomfortable because how is he just reading a book? How how can he sell that when there's this couple downstage talking about the great sex they had the night before? Okay? If an actor is in a scene, give him something to do. Okay, here is a biggie. Parentheticals. Now, that's those little bracketed indicators that suggest the intent of the line. Well, most actors are irritated, even offended by them. They feel that it is their job to discover the intent. And they like the freedom to interpret the lines as they so choose, okay? And, you know, that's fine to a point, I still do use this device, although sparingly, and same with underlining specific words that I want stressed, because first and foremost, as a writer, I want my scene to be interpreted correctly. And sometimes there will be a line and you can interpret it differently. And if you interpret it the wrong way, it has the wrong meaning. So... In a case like that, I will kind of steer you along. But like I said, I am very judicious. I never will give the parenthetical angry or sad, okay? They know if they're angry. If they're yelling, fuck you, and you put it all in caps, you don't also have to say angry. That said, you're probably writing your script to be read and not performed. And so in the interest of having the reader better understand your script and maybe buying it, yeah, you can sprinkle in a few more parentheticals. Just don't go crazy. Actors balk at thankless roles. The best friend, the harpy wet blanket, the wife, 
the wet blanket wife on sitcoms, the ones that are always going, oh, come on, Ray, don't do that. Oh, Tim, really? You know, those are really tough, tough parts to play. Also, the I like to call the Ralph Bellamy part, and that is the boring third guy in a triangle soon to be dumped. Ralph Bellamy played this role in His Girl Friday and about 297 other movies. And, uh, and also, it seems like any role played by Emily Mortimer is a thankless role. I don't know why she chooses them. But find a way to make these characters interesting, complex, and maybe even let Ralph Bellamy get the girl once in a while. Long speeches. Now, this is an interesting area. Actors love them and hate them. They like having a big, juicy, emotional speech, but they hate having to memorize them. So forget that human beings don't normally speak in long speeches. If you want to give a character a big speech, that's okay, fine. Just write the crap out of it and don't give him six speeches, okay? Chances are you're not Patty Chayefsky or Aaron Sorkin. Actors protect their characters as well they should. Writers sometimes have a tendency to sacrifice their character's integrity for the sake of a big joke. I side with the actors with this one. Once you have sacrificed a character, you can't go back. Find another joke. And finally, most actors don't want to be seen in an unflattering light. Now, they may voice their objections in gobs of Byzantine actors speak, but trust me, the real issue is they don't want to look weak, they don't want to look mean, or they don't want to be seen playing the girlfriend of the elephant man. They can have flaws, but within reason. So what you need to do here is either give the characters interesting shadings, multi-dimensions, which, you know, means not always weak, not always giving dogs caramels to eat, and make the parts as meaty and fun so that actors suddenly would kill to play them. Villains can be delicious, despite how hateful and cruel they are. Okay, is there a more fun character than J.R. Ewing in Dallas or Simon Cowell or my personal favorite champagne villain, Alan Rickman in Die Hard? Mm, Love him in that. Anyway, by making a concerted effort to accommodate the actor's needs, and most of these are really just good general writing tips, you stand a much better chance that the actors will embrace your script, even add to it. Their wardrobe and makeup issues, that's someone else's problems. But in terms of the script, remember, you are collaborators Actors are not your enemy. And that will do it for this week. 
on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is the same as it is every week, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Are you following me on Twitter yet? If not, why the heck not? At Ken Levine on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. And I've posted well over 300 pictures. I mean, I'm actually on that damn thing. Uh, Hollywood and Levine. And as always, if you could subscribe to this podcast, I would appreciate it. And a five-star review would be nice, too. Stay safe and sane, or at least one of those. And I will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.